Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from ilikehugh.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at ilikehugh.com. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hugh Virtual Chat. Well, I was just thinking how many months now, and we're almost going on to two months of these chats and some of the topics that we've talked about, some of the people that we've met have been truly amazing in this whole journey. And last week, yes, was very heavy with everything that was going on in the world, and it does still continue on. And there is so much more, so many more lives that have been affected and hopefully have not slipped through the cracks. So today, we are going to talk about another heavy, heavy topic. Human trafficking has seen a rise through all of this pandemic, COVID-19. And the ones that are involved, the lives and the families that are destroyed by it, hopefully will have some support, but in recent times, they haven't been able to get it. We're going to welcome back Joy Smith from the Joy Smith Foundation. Um, and on a happier note, uh, they are part of the Great Canadian Giving Challenge. So we'll find out more about that, but they have a chance of getting a $20,000 donation given to them, maybe on July 1st. So let's welcome all of our wonderful ladies into the Hue virtual chat. Hello, everybody. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. How is everybody's weekend? <laughs> Susie, how was your weekend? It was quiet. Quiet. Yep. Quiet. <laughs> I know. Not you know, lots has lots has happened, or lots have you know has happened, but yet it seems we're standing still. But uh, I want to welcome back Joy Smith. How are you doing, Joy? Very much. Oh, so I um and I don't uh, Corey give away. Hi. Oh my God, Corey. <laughs> it was hard. Corey and Lynn. I'm like Corey and Lynn. Hey. Well, thank you for joining from the lake, you two. Yeah. I'm like, well, there was okay. a tornado, so we came home. <laughs> oh, you, oh, wow. No way. Yeah. I'm glad you're, you're home and safe and uh, that you can join in this conversation. And hi, Kirsten, and hi, Charlotte. It's so good to see you girls. And uh, anyways, Joy, uh, there's a few things that I'd like to talk about and I want you to share with us. First of all, you sent me this wonderful trailer. Well, I sh maybe wonderful is the wrong word, but a very powerful trailer to a very important series that is very dear to your heart. Can I share it with the ladies today? And can I share it with our viewers? Please. Okay. So let's roll with this very emotional trailer. Less than a kilometer from where you're sitting right now, someone has been trafficked. When we hear the words human trafficking, most of the time our minds will drift to Southeast Asia, uh, Eastern Europe. 
but human trafficking is also happening right here in Canada, and it's happening to Canadian girls. Over 93% of all the girls who are trafficked in Canada are born and raised in Canada. Human trafficking is the vilest of sexual exploitation because they're sold over and over again to strangers by people they trust. You become a completely different person and it's almost like they slowly start sucking all your personality, everything that makes you you, out of your body and then putting what they want inside. It, it certainly hit home because at the time we were dealing with uh, murdered and missing women. I started to develop um, a, a hatred towards the opposite sex, towards women. And to be honest, I, I really didn't know at the time where my hatred came from. I try to process this. You know, how did I end up there? What brought me there? I don't want to find an excuse, but I want to find a reason. Human traffickers are very, very evil people, but they're not stupid. They understand very, very well what it takes to get into a daughter or a son's mind and to lure them into the entire world of human trafficking. We have to make people aware that human trafficking is happening. And in our Christian community, many people don't like to talk about it. We gotta take a hard look at ourselves and ask, am I involved in the fight against human trafficking? Wow. Oh, I don't know. Joy. <laughs> it's uh, pretty powerful, pretty emotional. So why, I guess, my question is, um, why is this happening? Why and why is it even on the rise? It's happening because traffickers make over $260,000 to $280,000 per victim per year. That's why it's happening. They want the money. And it's been under the public radar screen. Everybody used to call it prostitution. I'm not talking about the people who choose to go into prostitution. I'm talking about the underage kids. The average age of entry into the sex trade in Canada is 12 to 14 years of age. That's the average age. And I have to tell you, I worked with over 4,000 files. And for those of you that don't know much about the human trafficking or what I've done, um, I really didn't want to go to Parliament. I wanted to be a principal of a school. I have my master's degree in mathematics and science and a couple of other degrees. And well, I was preparing to be a principal of a school. I love kids. We have six of our own. But um, I have to say, my son, who was in the Integrated Child Exploitation Unit, came to our house one day and he completely changed. His, his hair was starting to turn gray and he just didn't, you know, drop in much. And he talked to me about what he knew about kids being bought and sold. And so as a good teacher, at least I thought I was a good teacher, I started giving seminars about how to protect your kid on the Internet. 
And, you know, everybody thinks the internet has been around forever. Well, it hasn't. Um, I mean, I'm a well-educated person, but when I went to school, there was no computers in the classroom. And so the traffickers have used that venue and other venues to lure. It takes 45 minutes on the average to lure a young person over the internet. And so this is happening in epidemic proportions. It ultimately landed me up in the House of Commons where I passed two bills um, against human traffickers. And those bills, if you Google human trafficking, now they're being used every single day to bring down trafficking rings. These traffickers are business people. They earn a lot of money out of the lives of very young people. And what gets me is most people think, um, this happens just to the kids on the street or whatever. Well, no, that's not the way it happens at all. It's usually the middle class, upper middle class child who is, and even one of them being an MP's child when I was in parliament and helped to rescue her. Um, you know, it just happens every day because it's big, big business. So the reason why I did the Christian response to human trafficking in Canada, number one, I am a Christian, uh, but the other thing of it is, it surprised me what a brick wall was around Christian families where they said, it'll never happen to my kid. And the past three years, the majority of my cases were from the Christian community and they didn't want to talk about it. And so I put a video out and this video actually is a Bible study. It's in um, six sessions, 20 minutes each. And you hear from the actual people who grew up in Christian families, and you hear from them. You heard from the trafficker in the trailer. He grew up in a Christian family. You hear from the John. He grew up in a Christian family. You hear from the beautiful Nicole, who now is one of my speakers, you know, and works. And this is so common. She was a traffic victim. This should not be happening to anybody. So prior to that, for the past 12 years, I've been working in schools and that's in all schools and it's non-denominational. It's not, I picked the Christian community because of the, the egregious kind of um, cases that I had this year, they were, they were horrid. And the youngest one, my last one, the youngest one was a nine-year-old boy who felt he owed his trafficker $50,000 they had uh, got to him over the internet and he'd gone to these parties, a little kid, and he had sexually serviced uh, oral sex to gentlemen. I, I say that not meaning gentlemen, but uh, you know, this little kid thought he owed his trafficker $50,000. I was out in the bush of Manitoba trying to find this kid because he ran away and I did find him. But the oldest one was 15 years old and you know, what happened to her was around Christmas time, last Christmas, while we were all celebrating, this kid was escaping from a trafficker and she went out through a window on the roof and slipped and broke her back. And we had to put her into a hospital under a pseudo name, but she gave us the names of everybody who was trafficking. So, you know, I want to prevent it. So the first video did we I did was Human Trafficking, Canada's Secret Shame. And that's for the general public. And anything I do is always done with grace and families can watch it. And so when you ask about human trafficking, uh, it just burned in my soul and my heart when I found out. So my career changed. 
<laughs> from being a principal of the school to going after these children. And when I started my foundation, I didn't want it called the Joy Smith Foundation. I didn't like my name on it. But because the bills made a big uh, story in Canada, the board insisted. So I went along with it and approved to be right because we're a national not-for-profit organization that works every single day to combat human trafficking. So that gives you kind of a, a very small interview, uh, overview. <laughs> oh, no. And then quickly too, and all of this, I mean, it, it does have a kind of a, a, or a happier ending. And now with this charity challenge that you're involved with, the Great Canadian <laughs> Giving Challenge. So we just want to put a plug in there and make sure the Joy Smith Foundation gets that that wonderful donation. So if you can tell us a little bit on how that works, Joy. Well, basically, um, I guess Madeline would be better at explaining how it works. <laughs> but right now she's eating her lunch and has her mouth full, so she can't say to <laughs> We're trying to quickly, quickly get everything done because I'm meeting the Lieutenant Governor at one o'clock and she wants to do more on human trafficking. But um, uh, really, the Can uh, Canadian giving is a challenge that's on the internet and it's, um, it's every dollar donated in June to uh, a foundation is an automatic entry uh, of our charity. Um, a minimum of $3 donation is required. So if someone wants to donate $3 to the Joy Smith Foundation, every single dollar goes into a pot that says you could win $20,000 and of course, we'd make very good use of that $20,000. We're working with judges and lawyers now. We're training them uh, on how to, what to do in a court of law when a victim comes in and we're doing a video and a real training package on it. So uh, the grand prize draw is on Canada Day. Canada Day. Oh, perfect. July the 1st. So if any of you out there want to get on the, uh, the website, which is the Great Canadian Giving Challenge, that's all it is. You just have to go to the Great Canadian Giving Challenge. If you want to pick my foundation, donate three bucks. Great. Uh, <laughs> love to have you do that. Yes. Shameless because no. I don't get any money for my foundation, so I can really plug it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can. Well, no doubt it's in a. Well, what a cause. Um, Susie. I mean, after watching all this and hearing, um, Joy. At this time, right, a lot of kids are at home or on the internet. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I struggle. You know, we talk about this all the time about educating your kids to be online, how to be online and all that stuff. But I hesitate because what we really need to talk about here is who's buying sex from children. That's men. Men are buying sex from children. And, and these are men. And some women. And some women. But, Joy... We're talking like over 90% are men, okay? Obviously over 95%. A horrifying idea and, and fact, actually. So we need to talk about what systemic problems are there. And obviously, yes, if, if our children are online, we need to teach them to be savvy. But maybe we need to attack the problem of the predators first. Like, that's, an, that's a shocking number to me. And like you said, we're talking about men with professions. They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're judges. They're, these are people who have money and who have power. And these children have none. That's and terrifying. To do it. You're absolutely right. What a profound statement. Thank you. And we are after the predators. 
if you notice on the documentary, we have a John who's speaking out. And the reason why they do it is because there's a lot of porn on that, you know, is all over the place. And you turn on the TV, you can see the most egregious things. Uh, the porn addiction is horrid. If you, if you Googled uh, Professor Gail Dines at the Boston University, I've worked with her, she's done exhaustive research on pornography and we work together all the time. So these people are conditioned that porn is normal. It's not normal. And guess what? The center of porn for the whole world is in Montreal, Canada. That's where the hub is for the whole world. Aren't we lucky? But we've gone after this and put uh, pages like Backpage, don't get on Backpage, the police monitor it all the time, is where they sell the girls. And we even took off a site off Kijiji. And so these people have a lot of money to put websites up and sort of the conditioning is it's okay. So what we have learned over the years, and I've worked with over 40,000 files. I've been in it 25 years last December. I'm old, as you can see. But the fact of the matter is that- You're experienced. Yes. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> you know, 73 years old, sometimes people, I never hide my age or my wrinkles. They're there. I got them the honest way. But you are really right. We have to cut off the head of the market. And so the market is the Johns who pay for this stuff because the traffickers go after those Johns. Silly men. They're using them. They want the money. And there's so many myths that we're defuncting. We're working with Aboriginal groups up north. We're working with everybody now to cut off the head of the snake in terms of, you know, people fooling themselves. They, they say, I never use the word prostitution because that they look at it as the oldest profession. It's the oldest oppression against women. And we need to teach our young men how to be honorable with women. And that's part of our educational program. Well, and that's the other part too, right? Is that there's the language around this. And there's a lot of, um, you know, we've talked about this um, in popular culture, even how newspapers and journalists report on rape cases and things like that, right? And saying um, just the language that's used around that. Well, this is child rape. That's exactly what it is. And to soften it up or to make it sound any softer than what it really is, which is the rape and degradation of a child who has no consent, no voice in this horrific exchange is something that needs to shock people to, into reality. And the truth of the matter is we actually had this discussion in my house within the last week because my kids are online and someone, uh, someone mentioned, um, uh, talking to people that you don't know and da 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 and so we started the conversation of what that means and what that can escalate to and what the signs are to look for and we need to be talking about that absolutely but by no means should we be softening what's actually happening here is that it's the abuse and rape of children it's exactly what it is thank you because that when i give my presentations that's exactly what i say and they're the most vulnerable they're the you know, we're supposed to be protecting our children. What society allows this to happen? But you know what? I've passed the laws. I've worked extensively. If you get on my website at joysmithfoundation.com, I've worked extensively every day with police officers. I, I still do rescues, which makes my 
my son's blood run cold. He's a commander in the RCMP right now. He's not very happy, but you know, it's the children. It's, it's the education about we need to honor our most vulnerable populations. And as adults, it's up to us. But the Johns, like when you talk to any of the Johns, they say, duh, I never asked her age. You see, most of them are dressed up to look 20 when they're 13 and 14 years old. And what happens to a child once someone trusts, once they trust someone and they think they're their friend, and then this happens to them where they're sold, bought and sold, it's, it's, it's just, we're losing a generation, like parents like yourself, good for you is all I can say. Hey, you want to be one of my speakers? Good for you. I love your attitude. We, we, can't, we can't be afraid to expose our kids to what's really happening. And we can do it in an age-appropriate way that educates them and empowers them with language and with the thought process to be their to be their own best advocate and to listen to that gut instinct that they have when something is wrong, they right. need to tell a trusted adult. That might not be a parent, but surely there's a teacher, uh, you know, a doctor, somebody else in their circle that could help them. And we need to empower our children with that information for sure. We have brochures, like I have a school program, grade, grade eight to 12, that talks all about it. And I have to say we have brochures that we give to kids and they're very tastefully done. Like, I mean, we don't um, have any naughty brochures, if you know what I mean, or any naughty videos. Anything we produce, your whole family can sit in front of it and, you know, learn. You know, what you said earlier, just a few minutes ago, about we need to talk. You would, wouldn't believe the parents who don't want to talk about it because it's not going to happen to their kid. It's out there. We need to prevent it from happening because I can tell you of all the 4,000 files, these are actual victims. They're over 4,000, closer to five now. Joy. Um, They're all victims. Um, I just, a quick question. Uh, the lovely Nicole that you spoke about, uh, you know, we, we're talking right now, you know, about the young children and that, but what happens when the young child grows into a young adult and what is that transition like and what are the support systems? And, you know, I mean, we have great support, peer support workers here. Uh, and so, you know, what, I guess every case is different, right? In other words, yeah. but... So what do you, your question is, what are the support systems for victims yeah. and trafficking? And, and how do they transition? How is Nicole now? You said that she now works for you, but it must have been a long journey for her. And, and they probably still struggle with it every day. You know what? Nicole came from the most wonderful family. It was the most unlikely. But, you know, we all know as children go into pu puberty, there's something... You know, every child goes through some trauma, whether it's bullying at school, whether it's feeling left out, whether it's, um, you know, she had a dog attack her. She's beautiful, but she had a dog attack her. Like it, it's so, and it, it undermines her self-confidence. And so in some of our education, we talk about how parents can build up this confidence because they're special, precious people. What happens outside the family circle is outsiders come in and they want those people. They want to earn $260,000, $280,000 off that kid. 
So they promise them the world. So anything that they're afraid of, or any, if they don't belong, they say, well, you're so beautiful. You can belong with us and we just love you and da, 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 da. Give them wonderful gifts. And this is what happened to Nicole. And um, Nicole is probably one of the most beautiful inside note people I've ever seen. And to meet her parents, they're wonderful. Like, this is why, you know, we absolutely, you know, parents blame themselves when something goes wrong with their kids. I mean, we have six of them. I can tell you, something goes wrong with your kid. Um, but, you know, the parents were, where did we go wrong? But, you know, as a society, every one of us can make a difference. And people think that they can't. Like what you were saying earlier about talk to your children. Um, you know, it's, it's imperative that we talk to our children and, and build up their confidence, confidence, not to scare them, but it doesn't hurt for them to be a little afraid of traffickers. They should be. I'm afraid of them and I deal with them every day. Well, they're kind of think, like me now too. <laughs> but I think too that children need to understand um, how to say no to adults and yeah. what that means. And, uh, you know, especially in certain communities, perhaps this was what you experienced in the Christian community, they might not have been told that they're allowed to say that, right? And from the beginning of my children being little, I would always say to them, you don't have to hug anybody, you don't have to touch anybody if you don't want to. And at two and three and four years old, that confidence and telling them they have agency over their body, they have agency over who they let touch them, who they want to touch, all those things build into consent, build into education, and then build into, you know, building a shield around our kids when it comes to this trafficking and what people can demand of them from their body, from whatever that might be, and them having the power to say, no, I do not submit to that. That is wrong, whatever that is. Excellent. Yes, that's exactly what parents should do. And not be afraid of it. We produced all these materials. So if parents felt reluctant to do that, we have tools and help for them. And it's done in such a way that it's not offensive, but it's really clear. And, you know, I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of schools all across Canada. And the interesting thing is that once the kids hear it, I've had so many kids that have come up to me and they've written me letters and said, I broke, I'm breaking off from my boyfriend or this girlfriend suggested, I could tell you a million stories. We don't have time for that today, but it makes a difference what you do and what you say. And it makes a difference when you dare to speak out. We can't be clustered in all these little circles where we don't talk to our kids. The kids deserve to be protected. And so I can't agree more with what you're saying. You know, it's, it's just giving the kids confidence to say no and, and, and giving also teachers tools. You know, we have the school program, we have the videos. I mean, the, the first video, um, uh, Human Trafficking Canada Secret Shame, you can get all these, by the way, online. And as I say, uh, I don't get any money for my foundation. Everybody thinks I'm crazy working every day, but I fell in love with the survivors and that's not going to change. And my son did so much to help survivors and our whole family's involved because it's just when you see a young person who's broken 
and then they understand we have a section that talks about blame and shame and parents shouldn't blame themselves if something goes wrong like this and they shouldn't be ashamed to talk about it and the kids shouldn't blame themselves or be ashamed i always say the blame is strictly on the predator him or herself so you know really it's you know having this conversation with you this morning it just inspires me because you know i've had lots of conversations where people say oh when i went to rescue a young girl years ago in saskatchewan and i had one of my friends who was coming with me and she did everything to talk me out of it and she said well this is not your business well isn't every child everyone's business that they're safe and that's the philosophy that i go by and it's not only talking to your own kids, but, you know, get, like when we have presentations, we, um, we actually pay people if they want to give a presentation, $100 to give the presentation. And we also supply the PowerPoint because we want all the information to be accurate. And all my information is accurate. I wouldn't have been able to pass those bills by, you should be through some parliamentary committees and senate committees ah it's experience from hell so anyway okay, so I, i'm just going to get uh, get let charlotte and, and Kristen chime in and then uh, i'm going to be chatting with uh, lynn too and, and corey but yeah so ladies so i'm going to start and then i'm going to pass it to Kristen. um one of the things in, in hearing joy what you're saying and susie what you're saying um what Kristen and i talk a lot about with when we're working with parents of uh, children who are struggling with mental health challenges is really trust your spidey sense really trust your gut when everything is telling you there's something wrong and everybody else is saying it's teenage angst or it's you know just a phase like you really have to trust it and and keep digging until um until you find out what actually is going on with your child. Okay, Kirsten, you take over. Um, oh, you know, I'm just full of goosebumps listening to you speak and yourself, Susie. Um, and thank you for all the work that you do, Joy. Um, uh, uh, Charlotte and I have a real passion for helping families with uh, young people that struggle with mental health. And one of the things we come across over and over again is this huge piece of shame that a parent carries and the feeling that uh, they failed. And then the secrecy that falls on top of that. Yeah. And um, on a peer level, because Charlotte and I have um, uh, really beautiful, resilient daughters, and we've been in those shoes, um, we just, first of all, we connect on a peer level and we let them know that this is not a parenting issue. Um, and, and that's a big part of uh, moving forward is getting unstuck thinking that you really screwed up as a parent and it's not their fault and the same thing would go with the trafficking issue. The second point I wanted to make was, um, you know, just one in four uh, people struggle with mental health in Canada. At some point in their life, adolescence, that number is even higher. And uh, my daughter went to a treatment facility in the States because she struggled with a needing disorder and some complex mental health and the help we couldn't find her in Canada. We chose to leave Canada. And this is a story that was with the girls in the treatment facility. And, um, you know, I called them broken butterflies. Um, you know, uh, 30 young females in this treatment facility, they all have a story. Um, they all either have um, uh, a complex mental health issue that um, they came into this world with, 
or they have um, something really crummy that happened to them. And um, there's definitely a handful of girls that were trafficked that come from the most supportive and loving families. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, they actually um, coach the girls as well on watching out for predators and watching out for those who target young people who are vulnerable and they they i'm sure you know this i don't know the ins and outs but but these people know this um it, it's unbelievable and so they actually um coach the girls to uh, what to watch out for how to handle themselves but um yeah if we can if we can um connect with those parents so the stigma ends and they can talk about it and um you know own what's going on and um you know we need to get that word out there yeah, we actually do a workshop, my favorite workshop, called um, Moving Past the Shame and Embracing the Gifts. And it would be perfect for even somebody that has a child that's, that's fallen into a tra uh, being trafficked, because it's, uh, it's, as a parent, it's dealing with the shame and, and trying to recognize what happened and, and put that in a healthy place. And then realizing that from this adversity, your family has actually... Um, uh, has some gifts and in my case it was seeing the world through a different lens looking at young people differently um, realizing that everybody has a story loving deeper and going into a field of work where we are we get the privilege of working with families every day but um, yeah I could go on forever but just thank you for everything you're doing great conversation well, thank you for what you're doing you know both you and Charlotte uh, this is so important and I, what you're saying, I, I'm entirely on the same page. I've worked so long in this, you know, going from being a mathematician in the science to falling in love with the survivors of human trafficking. And, and, you know, to me, that seems to be, you know, I've worked with so many cases and this blame and shame thing is crazy. Nothing to do with the family, nothing to do you know, it's just, you know, it's just really an attack on families. It's an attack on the youth. And once something happens, that's, you know, they get post-traumatic stress disorder. And when you talk about mental health, you know, we need to be paying attention because in Canada, we're the true north, strong and free. And that's exactly what we should be. And we're not in many cases because of the families that are hurting we don't need hurting families we need to take that away and we need to prevent these things from happening before it happens because putting the band-aid on afterwards takes a lot of resources a lot of time a lot of money and so we're at this point now in canadian history where thank god for people like you and charlotte is all i can say i know uh, maybe, well, maybe on canada day you'll have that lucky uh <laughs> For twenty thousand, so I just want to ask um, Corey and Lynn. They're new to our chat. Welcome, ladies. This is uh, Lynn and Corey Lukusiak. Thank you for joining. Hi. I know this is a pretty heavy topic for you, but uh, maybe Corey, your thoughts? Yeah, on all of this. I'm flabbergasted. I had no idea that this was going on to this degree, and. Um, all I'm thinking about is how we're failing, not only the young people who are being trafficked, but the people who traffic them and the Johns who, I don't even know what the language is, but I think it's just showing a massive mm -hmm. disconnect from the way society should be, where we're loving and caring and raising each other 
in community, where did we go so wrong? And um, it, for me to listen to this, it's very um, sad and very eye-opening. Um, and I really applaud all your work. Um, well, you know what is so, so sad? Like, I'd like to address that because there is a sunshine and a bright side to this. Because when I went to Parliament, you know, I was ostracized. I mean, if you get on my website, you know, there's, there's a lot of resources you can get to learn more about it and, and use the tools. But now people are talking about it. And now good people like yourselves are sitting there listening and look at your faces. You know, you just say, I didn't know this happened in Canada because it's been Canada's secret. And my first video was human trafficking, Canada's secret shame. And some of those people's on the video, you would recognize they're quite high profile people. And, you know, they're all Canadians and we can talk about every other country we need to make sure our own country is in order. And you know, I've done extensive work in Israel and Ukraine, but my heart always came back to Canada and the majority of my work and all my work now is in Canada because we're losing our youth. And you know, to have you, uh, both of you, uh, um, concerned about what's happening to our youth, I mean, this is awesome. It makes, it makes such a difference. Oh, I have a question for you, Joy. I, I'm, I'm a grandma, same age as you. Uh, it makes me very, um, I mean, it, my antenna go up. I, I think of my own grandchildren and, you know, how, how they could possibly be affected by this. But you said when you first went to Parliament that you were ostracized. Are, are, are they listening more now? Yes. You see, when I went to Parliament and said there's human trafficking in Canada, there was an outrage. If you read the book, uh, The True Story of Human Trafficking in Canada, there's a bit of a bestseller book that was written about it. It's on my website. Every, if you go to my website, every, everything is there. And, you know, I was. I was uh, told to take my bill down. And I said, well, take the bill, make it a government bill. No one wanted it. They wouldn't do it. So what I learned through all this at the beginning, I tell you, there's many times I went back to my office and had a good cry, but I have to say I stuck with it and it just turned around and flipped. Once we went through all this stuff and people, I got credit the survivors of human trafficking. I had helped with so many people that once you get something on a committee, you can pay for them to come to parliament and give them food and lodging and they tell their stories. And because I'd helped them over so many years, they said, Mrs. Smith, I wanna help you. And I attribute the survivors of human trafficking for passing those bills, not me. Um, but I have to say that it's one step at a time, you know, and, and I like you, I have grandchildren as well. But you know, my heart is open to my family and all of Canada's children because they've all become my children now and I've seen what happens to families like when something like a kid is trafficked um, my goodness sake it changes the whole family relationship it changes everything and the blame and shame piece 
really has to come to the forefront because it's not your family's fault, unless they're the perpetrator. That happens in some cases, but the majority it does not. And so, you know, people need to understand that this is wrong, it's horrid, and now we can bring to justice people who do this. I used to ask the traffic girls, why didn't you tell the police? And my own son's a commander in the RCMP, and they won't go to the police back in the day because they said we're victimized again in the courtroom. And I've been in many courtrooms, listening to many testimonies, and so with the laws that passed, they are no longer victimized. They are now um, being treated the way they should be. And if you put human trafficking on Google with your alerts, it comes, the rings come up every day. You'll find out human trafficking rings taken down every single day. And I really appreciate you, know, you uh, getting on my website and I appreciate any support whether it's $3 or $5 or whatever, it just takes a nation to do it. It's, you know, I, I, when I started the foundation, I just did it because survivors needed some money to start their businesses. So I raised some money, started the foundation, and then I gave it all away. And then the foundation kept going and there was more and more. And I thought, oh my goodness, I got to raise some more. And, and here I am. I don't think I'll ever quit. So, you know, <laughs> things like this, um, come all the time and and um so it's become my life's work now you know over and above everything else i've ever done and it's because of you people who continue to care and continue to if you ever want to get in contact with me just get on my website info at joy smith foundation i'd be glad to work with you or help you if you ever want to be a presenter we'd be glad to train you and equip you but you know, one thing, instead of being disturbed about it, you know, the way to get uh, rid of that worry is to start just do something about it. And you know, you feel so good because you know you're doing something, you're protecting kids, you're protecting your family, plus everybody else. Because all it takes is one peer who seems to influence your family person uh, more than anybody else. And you might think you might be most important. I always thought I was the most important person, but I soon found that wasn't the case. <laughs> but you know, one thing about it, I, I always said to my husband, you got to put him to sleep at age 14 and then wake him up at 21. But uh, that's illegal. So I can't do that. But that's one way to protect them. The best way though, is just, I'm just joking, you guys. I never put anybody to sleep. But anyway, having said that, you know, talking to your kids is the key. And they might not like what you have to say, but they learn. And they do. They do. And I think it's also really important that uh, parents advocate for sexual education in schools. So I was just going through my tweets here because a couple of years ago, there was the debate in Ontario if sexual education should be a part of the curriculum and all this information. And so one of the tweets that I sent out was, imagine how strong and psychologically, emotionally powerful our children would be against sexual predators if they were armed with knowledge about their bodies, consent, boundaries, and trusting their gut feelings. Those are all things that can be age appropriately taught to children of all ages. And that is necessary in sexual education because not all parents, as Joy can tell you, will have these conversations with their kids. So we need outside resources to have this conversation with kids and to give them a safe space where they can learn and be empowered and be knowledgeable about what their body does, 
what biological functions are, what sexual reproduction is, the more you know about your body and how it functions, the more armed you are with knowledge. And men who want to keep that information out of schools, and some women too in parliament, that is a predator society that we are building. When children have information and have knowledge, they have the option to say no. They are empowered to speak for themselves. And we need to give them that information because we cannot count on parents to do it every single time. But you know, I agree with you. And another thing is when you run into a school division or something like, parents have a right to make decisions for their children. And some parents will say, no, I don't want sex education in the school. And so what you do is you work around it. So it happens other ways. So you give them opportunities to learn. So you don't impose, you know, what you want on somebody else, because I try, I'm a very strong-minded person, but you know, I know how to problem solve. It's called problem solve. So you work around it and get it done anyway. I shouldn't say that out loud, but you get it done anyway in a different way because exactly exactly yeah yeah but we trafficking yes you can't talk about somebody stealing my kid well they don't actually steal your kid Mm -hmm. they infiltrate your brain there's some people who pick them up i've had several cases where they pick them up from a schoolyard and stuff like that but that's not norm the norm is they get inside their heads and they persuade them it takes 45 minutes by the way research shows it takes 45 minutes to lure a kid over the internet. Yeah, but we also have to be aware too that most of the children who are sexually or emotionally or psychologically abused are being abused by somebody they know. So somebody in their family or a very near setting. So these aren't strangers. The stranger danger thing is a myth. We all know that. So if we can teach our children that. It can be both. Yes, it can be both. But what I'm saying is that it's not usually that case. If it's that close, we're not, if it's not the internet based kind of um, situation, but our children need to know that they have the ability to say no and that we need to advocate for them. Absolutely. 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 My mind keeps going to uh, the recovery and the wellness of, of what a family goes through. Is that where your mind is going, Charlotte? Yeah. And, it's going there um, and then about, mm-hmm. keep going. I was just going to say, when you talk about the shame and the blame that a parent carries, which, which really can be all crippling, and the effect and the tie-in that that has to the child and their recovery to, to move past and get to a place of recovering wellness, which um, in our world in mental health is two separate paths. There's the path of a, of a parent who has to go on their own recovery journey, although what happened in their home is to hide into their child, and then there's the path of the child, right? So right. to get a parent to deal with and um, get to a place of wellness and let go of that shame and blame and start talking about it, which means you don't have to get on a soapbox and tell a war story. It just means you have to tell you know, your story and own it, and that's your story as a parent. And um, just the effect that not only would that have on your whole family as a whole, um, but just we need to start talking about this, Joy. We need to start talking about this. Were you going to have something? <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> I, I love all this, I truly do, but going back to the trailer, what really hit me was the, uh, the John and how he just said, I don't know why I hated women so much. And if we go back to getting the perpetrator, taking the head off the snake, I think 
those feelings. And he clearly did not know why he hated women so much. That just... I know him quite well. And um, his background, like he came from a very strict Christian family. Um, and I won't say, I don't know if it was a Christian family, he calls it that, but they were very, um, you know, they didn't relate to him. Like, uh, as we were talking about earlier, you know, talk to your kids, uh, talk to, tell them, but his wife, uh, he was newly married when he was continuing to service himself with women. And he put over $40,000 into servicing women and his wife, um, she came to one of my presentations and she told him about it. And then he talked to me and it just struck him that the average age was 12 to 14. He didn't know how old these children were. He didn't look at them as children because they didn't look like children. And the trafficker had trained them how, how to act. Like they train them through porn. They show them porn. And that's one of the ways. And, um, you know, it's... Um, you know, really, he's doing everything now he can to prevent this from happening to any other family. His his wife forgave him, and uh, and um, you know, it still it still hurts though. And and so they're both working together to try because it, it they've met so many families, Christian and non-Christian, who are addicted to porn, and he he was just addicted to it. And so it was just living out of his fantasies, which were not real. They were just make-believe. It was, everything is a moneymaker, you know, whether it's porn or whether it's whatever, everything's a moneymaker. And we have to change that channel to, you know, the honor and the protection of our community and our families. Uh, and we have to train people like, he said he would have loved it if there had been a video out like we have right now. Uh, he's seen both videos, the one, the Human Trafficking Canada Secret Shame and this one. And and he says, you know, if something like that had been out, it would have just educated him. His mindset would have been different. People are pretty intelligent. And we have this onslaught of, of you know, um, what sex is and isn't. And people put anything in front of a kid. and And it's sort of a conditioning. And I think... The parents and families and communities have to condition their community in such a way where our youth are protected and honored because I love kids. I mean, they're so funny and I work with so many of them and have six of my own, as I said, and we take two <laughs> care of two abroad. So we love kids and, and we have to get back to this. What is our responsibility as Canadian adults? And that is to protect our children, our most vulnerable society. Well, you did say one, I think, very important word, Joy, forgiveness. And I'm going to get Charlotte and Kristen and Susie and, and Lynn and Corey to, you know, their thoughts, forgiveness. And forgiving is very, very hard, but could possibly be on the road to mental health and wellness further on and mending relationships? Am I wrong, correct? <laughs> yes? I think you should weigh in here, Charlotte. <laughs> I was waiting for Susie's comment because she's going to have something amazing. <laughs> no, she'll just blow us all out of the water. <laughs> I'm just going to listen right now. Oh! 
So forgiveness. Oh yeah, Corey, go ahead. You had something to say? Yeah, when, when you were talking in that last little bit, I, I was thinking about attachment parenting um, and how important it is for adults to be raising children instead of peers raising children. Yeah. And it seems that we've gotten into this habit of letting our kids raise our kids. And I think a lot of adults have lost sight of the importance of holding your kids really close and building a relationship that is impenetrable to people who would want to traffic. And that's through love. And, and if you have a loving, open relationship with your children, I think your children, I would hope they would be less susceptible to this kind of thing. And with, you know, with um, forgiveness, there's this great little Hawaiian book called Ho'opono Opono, and it's a, a, a forgiveness ritual that helps people look inside and go inside and learn to not only forgive themselves, but forgive themselves for any aspect of where they were responsible along the line, whether it's looking away when we should have taken a closer look, or opening our eyes when you know we, there was something that we maybe didn't want to see that was right in front of us. So forgiveness, I think, is huge. But I think uh, we've got to get back to this attachment parenting idea. Just a thought. <laughs> Great thoughts. And to circle back to forgiveness, you know, a lot of the healing that comes with the victims of human trafficking is to talk about forgiveness not to condone what the perpetrator did or to accept that, but, you know, forgive yourself and forgive them because I found that, you know, not to give excuses or not to uh, condone what they're doing in any way, shape or form, but if they uh, perpetrate the hate, the hate is a bad medicine that really goes all through their bodies and they don't, um, you know, they don't really um, heal well. I had a rape victim a little while ago. She wasn't trafficked, but she was raped. And, uh, you know, she learned how to forgive her, her perpetrator, not to, not to condone what he did, but to understand that it was awful. And he was brought to justice. She let him have it. Both barrels. I helped her. <laughs> but by the same token to say, you know, this guy is sick, he's got his own issues. And, you know, unfortunately, you were the target, but not so she wouldn't hurt anymore. It was all about her healing. And I know uh, in a couple of minutes and five minutes, I have to head out uh, myself. So um, I don't know, Tracy, if there's anything else. Uh, has this been useful to you guys at all? Has yes. Oh my gosh, no, I mean, it's always, I mean, the subject is always there, Joy, you're always so wonderful and so gracious, and we all, are, we all love you for your courage and all the effort and support that you're giving to all of these young people, and hopefully, um, you know, maybe in a couple of years, we will have done our jobs and cut the you head know, off the serpent. Just listening to Susie and Kirsten and Corey and and yourself, and uh, and I'm sorry, I forgot the other oh, name. Lynn, Lynn. Lynn. 
you know, you're just inspiring. I can relate to everything. And for me, it's like a drink of fresh water to sit in front of you, honorable women. And Tracy, thank you for taking the time uh, to talk about this issue. And I invite you all to get on my website, joycefoundation.com. And yeah. I'll show yeah, you sure today. Donate the three bucks. <laughs> oh, and say hi, please, to Janice. Uh, I will do that. Yes, and I would tell her, I would, we would love to have her. We would love to have her on. I will tell her that. I'll tell her what I was doing uh, just before I came to see her today. And everyone lo loves Janice. Yes, well. Send all our love to her. She's Manitoba's treasure. Really. She is. She yeah. is Manitoba's treasure. And no longer a secret. <laughs> is there anything else, any of the ladies? I have to go in two minutes. Is there two minutes. Anything? No, Madeline can take you away. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Joy. Thank you. Day. It's just been a pleasure talking to you. Bye for now, ladies. Bye. Bye-bye. If Kristen and Susie can stay on. Um, you know what, before we go, I, I thank you so much, Corey and Lynn, for coming home from the lake. But you know what? You had a tornado warning there, so I'm glad you're safe. But just to you ladies, I hopefully you'll join us again. But Lynn and Corey, if you want to share your story about your husband, Gene, and I think it might be another topic, Susie and, and Kirsten, next week I want to talk about the whole turmoil of kids, how they kind of weathered through this weird homeschooling thing and some going back to school. And I was hearing like really hard angst stories of separation kids not happy so I want to do that next week but also on that about separation and angst during this whole pandemic and COVID-19 um Lynn tell us about your husband Gene and sort of you know your family's kind of oh journey through all of this yeah just so the yeah. ladies know yeah well we're we're walking the journey of Alzheimer's with my husband and he was a um We've been walking this journey for a number of years, and he right in the smack dab in the middle of this uh, COVID-19, he got admitted to a long-term care home, so Riverview Health Center. Um, so um, my husband uh, was a professional football player. He played for the Bombers, and he, early on when he started to notice changes of memory issues and some dementia and he always knew that it was because of his head trauma and his concussions and so on not not only just from football but from life you know and so um we're going to be working with uh, we're going to do a little project with tracy um to do some fundraising through cycle on life for riverview health center we're going to feature um, my husband, Gene, uh, it's going to be called Gene's Ride. And I'm hoping to, and that's kind of like we, as a family, we've come to the point where um, we are ready to, you know, share our story and talk about it and, and, and what a difficult journey it is. And, and I'm um, wanting to hopefully put something together moving forward that will help caregivers um, and, and the, the difficulty in that. We talk about guilt and all of those crazy feelings that come up when you're trying to care for somebody like that and care for yourself. So um, 
So we're still in this journey, but uh, you know, we're willing to open up and talk about it and share our story in hopes that it will help others, in hope that there is a way through Alzheimer's that doesn't completely, you know, devastate your family. I know, and it's so strange, right? Uh, the whole underlying base is communication and talking. <laughs> we just spent an hour talking about how important it is to communicate with your children mm -hmm. um, at, in mental health and wellness, how not to have the guilt and the shame. And I, I know for a fact that your story will help. And I really would love to connect you with, with Kirsten and Charlotte and what they do. I think, you know, you could really help. Mm -hmm. um, and they would definitely yeah. need the help. I was gonna say, Trace, I wish Charlotte was still here yeah. because I wasn't involved with this side of things, but uh, they have, Charlotte and Robin have done uh, peer training uh, with an Alzheimer Association in another province. Um, so, and that's where um, you train a facilitator to sit within a group of, of people who have that lived shared experience. In your case, it's, it's having a loved one with Alzheimer's and you offer support uh, from a true peer perspective and with those peer values. Um, and there's training for that, so there's no judgment. You don't shit on anyone. Um, you know, there's true connection, uh, the, the empathy. Uh, you know, it, it's a very safe environment. It's a place where when, as you know, uh, Lynn, when you're struggling with adversity that doesn't look like everybody else's uh, home or what's going on, you do feel very alone until you make those connections. So it's a way of, you know, letting people connect and find support, um, and so they don't feel alone and isolated through their you know, journey. I found yeah. it actually for a few years. I found it really, really difficult because friends would say to me, "Well, you got to go for help. You got to talk to somebody. You got to do something." And but I didn't really know where to turn. Mm -hmm. I, I had a couple of ideas, but it didn't. You know, I, I didn't, you, you really feel lost and it's very, it can be a very isolating experience and you feel like you're going down with your, with your loved one. You know, you feel like you're in that contractive state and how do I, how do I not contract along with my loved one? And then when you look at true peer support, so if you imagine um, a great example of true peer support is having somebody who's fallen into a really dark hole. And then you have all these clinicians, these nurses, these doctors, they yell down to you, they suggest things, they throw you a sandwich or the odd thing, uh, but then somebody comes along and jumps in that hole. And they're like, hey, you know what? I spent some time in here and I'm gonna show you how to get out of here and what worked for me. And so it's that real true uh, value of lived experience where um, unless you've walked it, you just don't quite get it, right? That's right. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Good luck with every everything you're doing, and um, I think if you um, if you look up Robin Priest with your truth dot com, um, you'll and connect with Charlotte and Robin. I think they would um, just have some valuable information that they could help you with. Sure, mm -hmm. they really would love to. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. So, anyways, and you know what, Lynn has a beautiful family, and you, that's a whole other segment two of it right i mean um there's lynn with her husband but then there's corey and her brother too as well so they do have a really interesting and beautiful story and i think it will help people just much like we're doing today and mm -hmm. uh, susie yes next week i want to yeah delve into the whole family 
thing and how the kids are doing and where they're going to go in, you know, in September, in the fall, and what that looks like and, and the angst. Uh, there's a lot of stress out there and the fact that we're not going anywhere. So anyways, ladies, thank you so much. And uh, have a great week. Okay, we'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you so much, Tracy. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of ilikeyou.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.